Welcome to the teaching ministry of The Cause Church. We pray you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed as you listen to the Word of God. As we head towards Easter, we've started a series called The Life of Christ in Me. And we're looking at several key moments of Jesus' life and what they mean for us. Not only was Jesus' life a model and example for us to follow, of course it, it was and it is, but beyond that, there is a reality that for those of us who know the Lord, we receive the blessings and the benefits of Jesus' very life in us through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. Christ lives in us. Me, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, it says, To them, which is us, the church, his saints, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. Would you say that? Say, Christ in you. Say, Christ in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Last week, we talked about Jesus' baptism, and my message was called, It's Your Funeral, So Enjoy It. And we had just immediate, in response to the message, we had immediate unplanned baptisms. And, and we baptized seven people last Sunday. And they were, they were amazing. It was incredible. We had some, I think he's in here, David got baptized in between services. <laughs> it was awesome. This Friday, Good Friday, uh, we're gonna look at the victory of the crucifixion. And then of course, next Saturday, Sunday, we're gonna look at the hope of the resurrection. But today I wanna to talk about the defeat of temptation. In fact, my message is called this, the game plan to defeat temptation. The game plan to defeat temptation. Turn with me to Matthew chapter four, if you would, in your Bibles. Matthew chapter four. In fact, go ahead and stand uh, to your feet. I like to do that as we read the word of God. Everybody, let's stand up together for a moment. Matthew chapter four. What we're gonna read about takes place immediately, immediately after Jesus' baptism. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record that. Matthew chapter four, verse one, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. <laughs> now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, in fact, let's read verse 10 out loud together. You can read it on the screen. Let's go. Oops, I just lost my page. I'll read it from the screen. Then Jesus said to him, okay, let's go. Ready, go. Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only 
you shall serve. And then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. As you're seated, look at the person next to you and say, you don't look like a threat to me, but you look like a threat to the devil. Come on, tell somebody. <laughs> There's several lessons that we learn about <clears throat> temptation from Jesus's temptation. First of all, after a spiritual high, you can expect a spiritual test. Listen, if you just have given your life to the Lord, if you just got water baptized, if you've just been filled with the Holy Spirit, if you've just had an amazing encounter with the Lord, you can expect that a test or temptation or an attack is gonna come. Also, we learn that temptation isn't always about your weaknesses. Temptation is also about misusing your strengths. Maybe you have a gift, you have a strength to be able to make a lot of money. The temptation is gonna be that money slips in there at some point and becomes your God and replaces the Lord. Here's another thing we learn is that it's not a sin to be tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. How you respond to temptation is what matters. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus, who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but was in all points, not some, not even most, in all points, tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews chapter two, verse 18 says, but he himself in his humanity has suffered in being tempted. He is able to help and provide immediate assistance. I like that, immediate assistance to those who are being tempted and exposed to suffering. Jesus was tempted in every way, Scripture says, yet he never sinned. And so when you're tempted, Jesus isn't mad at you for being tempted. He doesn't, he doesn't get mad at you, men and women. He wants to help you overcome and defeat temptation. We also see, by the way, that you will never outgrow temptation. As long as you're breathing, as long as you're alive, you will never outgrow temptation. There's a myth, sometimes people think, if I was just more spiritual, I wouldn't continue to be tempted anymore. That's not true. Jesus was the most spiritually mature person who ever lived. He was perfect, and yet he still dealt with temptation. Temptation is not a sign of weakness, it's a sign that you're a threat to the devil. Come on, look at somebody next to you again and says, you're, tell them, say, you're a threat to the devil. Major League Baseball is in season. Any baseball fans out there? Go Dodgers, go Angels. And uh, a major part of baseball, like any sport, any professional sport, is scouting. It is studying your opponent and having a game plan on how you're gonna defeat them. Baseball, the batters, study pitchers, they study their tendencies. When they get to a certain count, they know what kind of pitch they're gonna throw, what the location is gonna be. You'll see infield uh, or even outfield players during a game, they'll take their hat off, and a lot of these guys will pull a card out of their back pocket. That's telling them where they need to go and be in position with whichever batter they're facing. Pitchers do the same thing. Listen, you study, you have a game plan in professional sports, football, basketball, baseball, because you study your opponent in order to have a good game plan and how to defeat them. We have a spiritual opponent called Satan who wants to steal, kill, and destroy from our lives. And the only good thing that we can say about him 
is that he's predictable. He's predictable. The same temptations that you and I face today, he has used since the very beginning. Go back to Genesis chapter three, read about Adam and Eve, the three temptations that he used on them are the same temptations he has used for all of history. If I had time, I could show you. He used them on Abraham. He used them on Moses. He used them on David. He used them on Jesus. We'll come back to that in a moment. And he uses them on you and I. He only has three basic temptations. They come in a, diff- in, in a lot of shapes, sizes, flavors, and colors, but there's only three. In other words, Satan has a game plan in a game plan in how to tempt you and how to defeat you. So if you're wise, you ought to have a game plan in how to overcome temptation. Wisdom is, is knowing and being prepared and being ready. I wanna talk to you uh, about wisdom. I wanna give you a couple of wise steps, a couple of wise actions that you ought to take in your life if you wanna defeat temptation. And then I wanna talk about the heart or the character that is necessary to walk in victory over temptation because you need both the right wisdom and you need the right heart as well. So let me give you some steps to defeat temptation. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Number one, be water baptized and spirit baptized. That's what we talked about last week. Luke chapter four says that Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan after his baptism. He was water baptized, he was spirit baptized. Men and women, we need to be the same. We need to get water baptized and we need to get it filled with the Spirit of God, the power of God. You need more than your own willpower, you need God's power in your life if you're gonna live victoriously and successfully. Number two is this, use the word of God. If you're gonna defeat temptation, you need to use the word of God. Jesus combated every temptation with three words. What did he say? It is written. It is written. You can't tell the devil, by the way, it is written if you don't know what is written. (laughs) Listen, the weekends, we do our best. Pastor Junior, myself, whoever's preaching to preach the word of God, give you practical, biblical truth to live successfully, but if you're gonna be if you're gonna be dangerous to the devil, if you're gonna be a threat to the enemy, if you're gonna just live your life successfully for the Lord, you need to be a man of the word of God. You need to be a woman of the word of God. You need to read it, you need to study it, you need to meditate on it, you need to memorize it, you need to get it in your heart. The great preacher D.L. Moody said, either sin will keep you from the word or the word will keep you from sin. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The more of God's word you get in you, uh, men and women, some of those things that you struggle with, they start to break off of your life. There is nothing more powerful than the word of God. Listen, if Jesus had a more powerful weapon against the enemy, don't you think he would have used it? But he used the word of God. By the way, he quoted from the book of Deuteronomy three times. (laughs) most of us in our Bible reading, by the time we get to Deuteronomy, we've already given up because Deuteronomy is kind of a boring book. But Jesus quoted, he knew the word of God. You need to use the word of God. Number three is this, you need to know your vulnerabilities. Know your vulnerabilities. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, in the garden of Gethsemane, he told his disciples, watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh 
is weak. All of us know, <coughs> excuse me, the areas. We know what tempts us, but some of us haven't taken the time to kind of think about some of these other questions that I want to give you real quick. Here's a question that you need to think about. When am I most tempted? When am I most tempted? Is it a certain day of the week? Is it a certain time of the year? Is it a certain time of the day? By the way, generally speaking, nothing good happens late at night, <laughs> especially if your spouse has already went to bed. Hello, all right? Here's another question. Where am I most tempted? Where am I most tempted? Is it at work? Is it at home when I'm alone? Is it with a specific group of friends? Is it when I'm at the mall? Is it when I'm at the sports bar? Is it when I'm on a business trip traveling by myself? Is it in front of the computer? Where am I most tempted? Here's another question. Who is with me when I'm most tempted? Who is with me when I'm most tempted? Am I, am I by myself? Am I with some friends that are leading me, consistently lead me in the wrong direction, or maybe one friend in particular or one person in particular? Is it with a crowd of strangers with, you know, when nobody knows me and I think I can kind of, you know, get away with something? Or, by the way, there are some contacts that some of us have in our phones that you need to delete, permanently delete. <laughs> you might not want to do it now, but maybe when you get home. There are some people that you're following and you're connected to on social media. You need to unfollow them because they're just going to get you into trouble. All right. Amen, Pastor John. All right, here we go. I, I know, I know this is, it's, good, it's, it's straightforward. I don't, that's all right. Here's another question. How do I feel before I'm tempted? How do I feel before I'm tempted? This is called your emotional trigger. What is the emotional trigger that can cause me to fall into temptation or to be tempted? Maybe it's frustration, maybe it's exhaustion or anger or stress or boredom or restlessness or loneliness or self-pity. It's probably different for all of us. <laughs> I'll use myself as an example. I help coach Little League. Occasionally we get an umpire who's not the best. I wonder, have they even been to umpiring school? And I realize that for me, in a lot of areas of my life, two of my emotional triggers are stress and anger. So if I go into a game a little bit stressed out, a little bit angry, I realize that I might say something to the umpire that I'll regret later. By the way, I don't ever cuss at umpires, all right? In my head I do sometimes, but not out loud. I learned this the hard way because three years ago I got kicked out of a game. The parents were like, isn't he a pastor? <laughs> I apologize to the team anyways. Listen, now I know my emotional triggers now. I've learned from my mistake. And so when I, when I get a little bit upset and I'm in the dugout, I just go for a walk. And I pray. <laughs> and I calm down before I yell at the umpire and get kicked out of the game. All right, here we go. Here's a fourth step. Commit to what you're not gonna do in advance. If you wanna overcome temptation, you gotta commit to what you're not gonna do in advance. Listen, if you wait until temptation comes and then you're trying to figure out what you're gonna do, it's too late. 
You've waited too long. You need to make a commitment in advance. You need to have a game plan and stick to it. Daniel chapter one, verse eight says, I have purposed in my heart that I will not defile myself. You gotta make a commitment in your heart into the Lord. Proverbs chapter four, verse 26 says, mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. A lot of wisdom is avoiding temptation as much as possible. You can't avoid all of it, but you could probably avoid a lot more than you realize. Read Proverbs chapters one through nine, especially the men. I challenge you to read that. And notice how often every single chapter is talking about how to avoid adultery, how to avoid sexual immorality. Let me give you some specific examples. If you be single in here, if you're single and you're going on dates, you will either go by your plans or go by your glands. Come on, somebody. You better have a plan before you go out on a date with him or her. All right, I'll leave it there. If you're tempted to drink, then don't go watch the Dodgers games at the sports bar. <laughs> that be double dumb, as my dad would say. That's stupid, it's foolish. Listen, maybe you ought to move your laptop to somewhere in the house where everybody can see it especially your spouse. Maybe you ought to delete some apps from your phone. <laughs> All right, I'll keep going. I don't expect any amens. You can take that, put it in your pocket, and think about it later. Let the Lord speak to you. I'm just trying to help you. Number five, pray for deliverance. If you want to defeat temptation, just pray. Cry out, Jesus, help me. God, help me. Watch and pray. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Did you hear that, by the way? Listen, I'm gonna say this kindly but directly. Men and women, if you know the Lord, if you are saved, if you're a saved, redeemed child of God, filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse four, he who is in you, Christ who is in you, is greater than he who is in the world. So none of us, myself included, we have no excuse. You can't just say, oh, the temptation was just too much. No, it wasn't. You have no excuse. I have no excuse before the Lord because he has, the Bible says, he has given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. And so it says, he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand because when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. It, sometimes it's just saying, no, I ain't going there. I'm leaving right now. Sometimes you need to literally flee the scene of the crime and get out of there before something bad happens. That's what Joseph did when Potiphar's wife, that cougar, was trying to grab him and bring him into bed. He ran out of there. Read it on your own. It's in the Bible. Number six. Number six, refocus your attention. Refocus your attention. The battle for sin always begins in your mind. It's, it's between your ears. Whatever you focus on in your life, you will move towards. If you're trying to be good and watch your calories and you're sitting in the kitchen by yourself, and somebody, the devil has placed a piece of chocolate cake out there, and it's gorgeous, and it's beautiful, and it looks delicious, 
If you sit there and you stare and you focus and you fixate on that thing and say, I will not eat it, 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 the next thing you know, you have chocolate cake all over your face, all right? Because whatever you focus on, you move towards. You know what you ought to do instead is you ought to get up, get out of the kitchen, go find your kids or your grandkids, start playing with them and change the scenery. Put your attention and focus on something else. When Jesus was tempted, he immediately went to the word of God. He immediately went to the word of God. He put his focus on the word of God instead of the temptation. Philippians chapter four, verse eight. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Number seven is this, the seventh wise step to defeat temptation, get a trusted friend to help you. Get a trusted friend to help you. If we had more people in our lives that we could confess our temptations to, we would have less sin to confess to God. We need, we need people that can help us. We need somebody, you need somebody that you can call or text or sit down and have coffee with and look them in the eye and they're gonna ask you the hard questions and you're gonna give them honest answers or you're gonna say, hey, please, I'm struggling in this area. Can you help me? Can you pray for me? Can you help me get out of this, this temptation? If you're gonna become more like Jesus, you gotta hang out with some people that are like Jesus. That's why we talk about connect groups and small groups. Get involved. No matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, you need other people around you that are gonna encourage you and pray for you and, and, and help you. Listen, that's why some of us ought to go to celebrate recovery every Friday night, seven o'clock. Overcome your hurts, hangups, and habits. If you could have done it on your own, you would have done it already. You need somebody else to help. You need Peter Knickerbocker as your sponsor saying, bro, get out of there right now. Don't go there. Right, Peter? Come on. Ecclesiastes chapter four, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Here's the eighth. Uh, wise step to defeat temptation. Number eight, guard your heart. Guard your heart, because temptation is an inside job. Temptation is a desire to fulfill a need your way instead of God's way. To, to fulfill a need in the wrong way, at the wrong time, at the wrong place, maybe with the wrong person. And by the way, God's ways are always better. God's ways are always better. James chapter one talks about how temptation comes from our own desires. God doesn't tempt us. They come from our own desires, which entice us. They drag us away and give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. The old saying, the devil made me do it, is wrong. The devil can't make you do anything. He can, he can lure you into temptation, but the actions come from your own decisions. And they, men and women, they come from our heart. They come from our heart. As Jesus says, we just read it, I think, uh, maybe yesterday. Out of your heart flow all of these things, Jesus says, all these issues. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. I wanna close. I wanna talk quickly about the three temptations, and I wanna talk to you about the heart quality or the characteristic that we need to have in order to overcome them. And 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 uh, talk about it, talk about these temptations clearly. Verse 15 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. 
by the way, it is talking about the value system of the world. It's not talking about people. It's talking about the value system of the world. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then let's read verse 16 out loud together. Can we read that? To the next verse? Thanks. Ready, go. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The value system of the world is summed up in these three statements. Can we put that chart up on the screen? Leave it up for a moment. You could take a picture of that if, if you want to. You'll see on the far left common the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, and then the corresponding temptation that Jesus faced. By the way, all of secular marketing and advertising appeals to one of these three things. Every single one of them. You can, you can, you can some of them to multiple of those things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the temptation to feel, to have, and to be, the desire to indulge, to increase, to impress, sex, salary, status, passion, possessions, and position. I wanna talk about that for a moment and talk about our heart. The lust of the flesh is the temptation to feel it's the desire to indulge. Satan whispering to Jesus, command that these stones be turned into bread. Jesus had the power, he had the ability, he had the strength to be able to do that. He could have done that. It would have felt good for a moment. He was hungry. He hadn't eaten in 40 days, but he would have used his power and his strength for selfish reasons, and that would have been sin. And men and women, we are constantly tempted to do that. The world says, if it feels good, do it. If it feels good, do it. Sometimes they'll add the caveat, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. Men and women, there's nothing biblical about that. By the way, by the way, sin might be private, but it's never personal. All of our sin, all of your sin, all of my sin, whether or not you realize it, it affects other people, especially affects your marriage and your spouse, and it affects your family. Is there anything wrong with feeling good? No, absolutely not. But to feel good in the wrong way at the wrong time is perversion and it's sin. And so Satan came at an opportune time when Jesus was exhausted, when he was literally starving, when he was hungry, and Satan comes at the same, in the same way in our lives at an opportune time. And he whispers lies in our ear and he tells us things like, your marriage isn't going very well, business ain't going that great, come on. You deserve this. You deserve to feel good. You deserve a little fun in relaxation. Nobody's gonna know about it. It's not that big of a deal. And he whispers lies to us. In scripture, the lust of the flesh is often, is often a reference to sex, specifically to sexual immorality. Sexual immorality in the Bible, the Bible definition, is any sexual activity outside of a covenanted, committed marriage relationship between a man born a man and a woman born a woman, a husband and a wife. Any other kind of sexual activity, you can fill in the blank, anything else is outside of God's bounds, men and women, and it's, it's sin. And I said this at 8.30, I guess I'll say it at 10 o'clock. This might be a crowd-thinning message, as my Uncle Jim used to call it, but so be it. <laughs> Going into Easter, real smart too, by the way. Listen, I don't care if, you're if you love each other and you're living together. If you're not married, you're in sin, the Bible says. And you ought, to, you ought to either break up and move out, 
stop sleeping together, or take some premarital counseling and get married and make it right before the Lord. God loves you. He loves you. You're still saved and going to heaven if you know him, but you're missing out on his blessing in your life. I say that in love, but you need, people don't know that today. Honestly, some people don't know that. And if you do know, know that and you're continuing to go down that path, you need to make that right. Anyways, you need to, all right, I'll leave that. But this can also, this, the, the lust of the flesh can also include desiring to indulge any need in the wrong way, in an excessive way. You know, some things aren't necessarily bad in and of themselves, but if it's excessive, it can, it, it's not good. It's the lust of the flesh. It, might, it could be food, it could be entertainment, obvious things like alcohol, drugs, pornography. That's the lust of the flesh. The heart characteristic that we need to defeat the lust of the flesh is integrity. Integrity, say integrity. Integrity involves honesty, but it's more than honesty because in- integrity comes from the word integer. It means a whole number, a unit of one. Integrity means you don't compartmentalize your life. Too many people, too many Christians live their lives this way. This is my personal life. This is my private life. This is my golf life. This is my business life. This is my financial life. This is my sex life. This is my family life. This is my marriage life. This is my pornography life. Men and women, the moment that you start to segment and compartmentalize your life, you have already forfeited your integrity. Integrity means that what you see is what you get, that you are, that you are whole. When you, if you think of it as a pie, the whole pie is there. There's not one piece missing. There's not one bite missing. Listen, if you're in a boat and there's a hole in the boat, it might be a little hole, but eventually you're gonna take on water and eventually you're gonna sink and go under. And if there's a, an area in your life that you know, you need to let the Lord fix that and repair it. Integrity is not perfection, by the way. You can ask Jenny. You, she, could, she could go on for, for days about how imperfect I am. None of us are perfect. Please don't do that, by the way, babe. None of us <clears throat> are perfect, but integrity says, I'm not going to knowingly live my life and just keep taking on water and just keep compromising and keep falling into the same things. By God's grace and his power, I'm going to be a man of God. I'm going to be a woman of God. And I want to live my life with wholeness. In fact, that's connected to holiness. And anyways, but it's, it's, it's integrity. People, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9, people with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths will be exposed. We need integrity. Second temptation, lust of the eyes, it's the temptation to have the desire to increase. Satan showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, said you can have all of these things, all the wealth, all the power, all the gold, I'll give to you. But Jesus did not come to establish an earthly kingdom. He came to establish the kingdom of heaven. And so he refused. This is the temptation of, uh, to possess. It's greed. It's I see it and I want it. The desire to acquire gone haywire. Or to quote Wu-Tang Clan, cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money. Dollar, dollar bills, y'all. Mark McAvoy, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's the desire to sell out for money instead of being sold out for Jesus. It might be God speaks to you and calls you to do something. I'm not talking about ministry, but he calls you to do something, and then another opportunity comes up that pays more money, and you take that instead. The lust of the eyes. Jesus said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, Luke 12, 15. And the heart quality that you need to crush that in your life is generosity. 
generosity. Every time we give, our heart grows bigger. Every time we give, we break the grip of materialism off of our lives. Every time we give, we become more like Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave. And so listen, tithing is really about trusting. It's about trusting the Lord. And and listen, you say, I trust God with my life. No, you don't. If you don't give, you don't. (laughs) You don't. Jesus said this, Luke 16, 11. If you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? It's easy to tell what's most important in our lives. All you need to do is look at how you spend your money and how you spend your time. And that will tell you quickly. And men and women, the Lord ought not to be at the bottom of how we're spending our time or how we're spending our money. We had to give them priority. We had to be generous people. We had to be generous in every way. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And here's the third and the last temptation, the pride of life. It's a temptation to be the desire to impress. Satan whispers to Jesus and says, throw yourself off this off the the top of this temple, and the word says that angels will catch you. By the way, did you notice that Satan used scripture? Did you notice that? Satan knows the word of God, but Satan always twists it and perverts it. There's a whole lot of things in our culture today that they sound nice, they sound loving, and they sound Christian, but there is nothing biblical about them. And listen, that's one of the reasons you ought to know the word of God. I've seen too many Christians fall off into weird ditches and anyways, get, get involved in some goofy stuff that has nothing to do with Jesus and his cause. But Jesus' Jesus's way to glory was not by showing off, it was through suffering. It was through the cross, and he was not gonna circumvent that. Listen, there's a temptation in all of our lives, and this one is the most subtle. It's the hardest to recognize, because listen, if you're prideful, you don't realize it, probably, and if you do, you're very prideful. You got a lot of issues. But the pride, the pride of life, it is to live a selfish, self-centered, self-focused kind of life. And it's all about me. And so in your marriage, it's all about you. And in your family, it's all about you. And you put yourself, if you're constantly putting yourself ahead of other people, maybe you have a pride issue. God wants to deal with it. By the way, so much of social media is all about this. It's actually about all three of these things. I'm not anti-social media, but especially the pride of life. Selfie, look at me, look at my clothes, look at my cars, look at my house, look at my vacations, look at my beautiful manicured feet on the beach, look at my food. It's like, what, this is ridiculous. I'm a social media influencer because I just took a nice picture in front of a nice car that doesn't belong to me. Look, here, I updated my social media picture right there. That's my updated profile picture. Follow me, I'm a social media influencer. Cool, cool cars, and there's nothing there going on. I got nothing going on in my life. I don't even own these cars. It's stupid. Pride of life, it's all about me. It's all about me. Listen, it's not about you. It's not. I hate to break the news to you. It's not about you. It's about God and his kingdom and his cause. It's about living for him. It's about serving other people. Come on. It's about loving other people. It's not about you. It's not about me. The more you make marriage about yourself, by the way, the more unhappy you're going to get. And I know because I've struggled with that. And the Lord has worked on me. It's not Jenny's job to make me happy. I need to get my joy from the Lord. 
And if I'm focused in on what Jenny's not doing, you know, this, that, and the other, no, no, the problem is with me. It's not about me. I need to serve my wife. I need to honor my wife. I need to prefer my wife. I need to submit to my wife like Ephesians 5. Am I getting better at that, babe? I am? Yes! 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 Like Kip said, yes. All right, sorry, I'm getting way off. Oh, man, I need to stop. All right. The, the character quality necessary to overcome the pride of life is humility. It's humility. Humility is not thinking of yourself less and putting yourself down. I'm the worst. I can't do anything. That's false humility. That's not real humility. And men and women, you are infinitely valuable to the Lord. God loves you way, way, way beyond what you can ever comprehend. In fact, I think in heaven, I think part of the journey of heaven is is a continual revelation of the love of God. And we'll never get there. It'll take all of eternity. He loves you. Jesus died for you. That's what the cross is all about. But humility is a recognition saying, God, I know I'm messed up. I know I'm broken. I know I'm a sinner. God, fix me, heal me, set me free, use me for your glory. Listen, humility causes you to not live for the applause or the approval of other people. It causes you to live for God alone. And it takes a lot of pressure off your life. Lord, help me to be humble. We need to be a church that has integrity, that has generosity, and that has humility. We can overcome temptation. We can defeat temptation. Listen, we're not gonna be perfect. Some days will be better than others. But God is not, he is not concerned with your perfection. He knows that you're not gonna be perfect, but he is interested in your direction. What direction is your life heading? Friends, are you heading closer to Jesus? Are you heading towards the cross? Because that's where you're gonna find victory and salvation and freedom. But you need to walk in wisdom and you need to have the right heart, amen? Amen, close your eyes for a moment. Just ask the Lord, man, I gotta, I gotta wrap up, but. Just ask the Lord to speak to you. Maybe he has already. Just say, Lord, do you just show me temptation or area in my life that I need to address, I need to fix. And God, I wanna, I'm sorry, I wanna, I wanna be better. I need your help. Just take a moment with the Lord. Make a commitment. Make a commitment, a renewed commitment in your heart to do that. Lord, we just come. We're thankful for your presence and your love. Lord, you don't condemn us, but sometimes you convict us. You do convict us often. Show us where we need to change. God, change our hearts. Help us to overcome temptation, to defeat temptation in Jesus' name. Live for you, God. Bring honor and glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from The Cause Church. For more information about The Cause or for further resources, visit our website, thecause.cc or call 714 255 0930